G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. But for this next hour, you won't want to leave our conversation because we're going to be talking about something that is so close to the hearts of so many listeners. And that, of course, is marriage. And as you may know, this is Marriage Week. And so an opportunity during Marriage Week to celebrate a good marriage and to hit the reset button when things are not so good. Well, right now on the Vision website, you might like to check out a page that's dedicated there to great resources for strengthening your marriage. Simply go to vision.org.au. You can check and see. It's better than you might imagine. Well, over this next hour, we want to explore some of the myths that have grown up around marriage. Now, myths like, if my spouse isn't cooperative, there's nothing I can do to fix the marriage. Or, if we argue, there must be something fundamentally wrong with our marriage. Or even the idea that marriage is meant to make us happy. Francine Perola is back with us today. She and her husband, Byron, have been married for 30 years. They have five children and a great-grandchild on the way, and we might even get an update on that in just a moment. Francine and Byron Perola lead the Marriage Resource Centre. And they have run the Smart Loving Marriage Retreats for the past 20 years. And now thousands access their online breakthrough courses at smartloving.org. Let me say a special welcome back to 2020 to Francine Parola. Francine, great to talk to you. Good morning, Neil. It's just wonderful to be back on air with you. We had such a great time a few years ago, I think it was now, that we uh, were last together on Vision. It's been far too long, I might say. And Francine, uh, so far as the grandchildren go, uh, was that up to to date, that uh, that little uh, figure? Yes, it is. It's our first grandchild um, due in December, so we're kind of hoping that we might have another grandchild starring in the Nativity play at the Christmas Christmas celebrations this year. We have sort of very fond memories of our, our children at various stages of their childhood being the, the superstars in the Christmas nativities. And, uh, of course, 30 years of married life now, you and Byron, and uh, you, in the majority of that time, you've dedicated that uh, to being involved in people's marriages, in helping to resource, equip, enrich uh, people in marriage over decades now. It's just been a tremendous journey that you and Byron have been on. Yes, yes. Look, and we, in some ways, um, we were raised into it. My husband's parents, uh, Byron, uh, Rod and Mavis Parola, they were instrumental in bringing um, Marriage Encounter, which is a sort of a marriage retreat, an international marriage retreat to Australia, I think 45 or 50 years ago. And uh, my parents were one of their first recruits, and they ran sort of marriage preparation courses for years and years. While we were growing up, we always had engaged couples coming through our home um, doing courses that mum and dad were running. So we sort of come from a long pedigree, I suppose, of, of marriage uh, apostolate work. So uh, in some ways, you know, we were groomed from a very early age for this sort of work. And it's uh, it certainly though felt very much that God has called us into this space, especially 
in sort of more recent years where marriage has come under such attack um, and has been undermined in so many um, different ways in the, in the community and we just see more and more heartache and, and um, devastation that when a marriage fails, you know, the, um, the devastation it leaves behind and the long-term impact that that has. So it's, it's been a, a joy and also a, um, I guess, a, a, heart, it's a heartbreaking ministry, but it's also a joyful ministry because we know that it's exactly where God needs us to be right now, that it's right at the pointy end of the, the mission of the church. Francine, marriages can deteriorate, disintegrate, uh, weaken to the point where people feel as though there is no hope any longer. But when you talk about the devastation that's left in the wake of a failed marriage or someone who's gone through divorce and they've got to try and pick up the pieces and start all over again, do you think that people have some level of regret when they've gone through all of that and they think, well, Perhaps I should have worked a little harder. Maybe we could have drawn together some of the uh, some of the fragments of what was left and tried to be, yeah. rebuild what we were, what we had, and uh, we could have, you know, made our lives together, and we could have been happy. We could have been enjoying our grandchildren together. Uh, what are your thoughts for people who who might be thinking that you know perhaps uh, they've got a few fragments together and trying to bring those together now maybe they can breathe new life on the uh, on the embers of their marriage yeah absolutely look i guess the the research does show that many people um, who do progress through a divorce look back on it with regret and five years later that even like when they track people who are you know experiencing difficulties in their marriage five years later most of them if they stay together look back and say their marriage now is in a better place than it ever was before those who go on to get divorced typically look back are more likely to look back with sort of a sense of regret so there's certainly sort of some some statistical evidence around that there are lots of people that do progress down the path of divorce when it doesn't necessarily deliver i guess the relief that they were looking for from the conflict in a marriage and and you know look nobody gets divorced because they're just you know, looking for something new to do on a Sunday. They, they, you know, it's because they're in deep pain and they can't see their way out. I guess they've lost hope for things ever getting better in their marriage. And unfortunately, the cultural message around is that, um, you, you know, you, you're admired for taking positive action to end a marriage, whereas you're um, derided if you stick out in a really difficult situation. And particularly if you've got something like infidelity or, you know, an addictive you know, spouse with an addiction or, you know, some kind of, you know, abusive personality or something like that, um, you're actually derided for to holding true to your marriage vows. Mm. Uh, and, and you'll be applauded for saying, good on you for going to, to sort of pursue your own happiness. And that, of course, is totally counter to the Catholic position. Now, I'm not advocating that in an abusive relationship that you need to stay there and just cop it. There needs to be something done. But there's, there's, there's a positive action you can take that keeps you faithful to your vows and also helps uh, stabilise the situation. Wow, interested in the way you deliver that idea that uh, when things are looking tough and it looks as though your marriage is falling to pieces, uh, people are more likely to cheer you on to get a divorce 
than they are to actually cheer you on to hold things together. And I guess you need to be resistant to those voices that say, uh, you know, go on, get a divorce, start anew, or he's not worth it, she's not worth it. Uh, Really, you've got to be able to block those voices out. Uh, How do you find people do that? How do they block those out? You really have got to change the attitude of your own heart towards what you're wanting to uh, see as valuable in your marriage. Yeah, that's right. And I guess it's, it sort of really starts with a bit of long-term planning that every couple needs to do in terms of setting yourself up and surrounding yourself with other couples with the same commitment to marriage. And that's where our Christian communities, I think, are so important because they help us put us in touch with other people that share our values on marriage. Um, and so we need to be careful, I suppose, about how much credence we're given. Sometimes it's even voices in our own family that will subconsciously be trying to justify their own decisions might sort of encourage us towards a divorce or, or um, you know, that, that sort of classic situation where, well, to give you a personal example, when we've had sort of, you know, hurts in our marriage, um, we've, we've had the privilege of working with wonderful couples over the years and I always appreciate, I remember this time, I was really upset with Byron, I got on the phone to my girlfriend, Trisha, and I had a big rant about Byron and she just listened patiently and, and you know, validated my feelings and and affirmed me and then she said okay i'm glad you've got that off your chest what are you going to do now to love him she sort of turned me straight back around and sent me back to him instead of saying you're right he's a jerk you know you don't deserve that she wasn't kind of reinforcing what i wanted to hear was that kind of thing but it wasn't what i needed to hear and we need friends like that in our lives and and people in our lives that will say yeah i get it it's really hard and i'm feeling for you Uh, what can we do now to make it better? What can we do to help you be the spouse, the husband or the wife that God calls you to be and turn us back around to the marriage? And really, you turn all of those friends into very valuable assets uh, if they are the ones who are encouraging you to not look at all the negatives but say, how are you going to love him? How are you going to love her? I'm also interested, Francine, in the fact that you say it's so valuable being a part of church life because Mm -hmm. typically in people in church life there is an attitude, isn't there, of wanting to have a lifelong marriage, wanting to hold things together. You've got a pastor or a priest who is a part of your local church and uh, and they are going to be your cheer squad when things start going badly. Uh, this idea of being a part of church, this is really, this is not something that just sort of, you know, I'm encouraging you to be a part of a church because uh, there's something very, very valuable about being a part of a church. Absolutely, and very and very practically valuable. I mean, there's there's obviously the supernatural, uh, you know, and our, our destiny to be, you know, with God for eternity in heaven. There's that aspect of it. But even if you don't buy into that sort of thing, there's a very practical aspect of just being surrounded by good people who can act with generosity towards you. And and I think the whole Christian faith encourages people to do things for others without expectation of being rewarded or returned, whereas it's, that's not a common a value system in our culture generally. It's all, you know, pretty much a jungle out there. It's dog eat dog. I'll be a friend to you if you're a friend to me, but as soon as you, you know, don't meet my needs, well, you're cast off, whereas that's really not part of the culture in the Christian communities. We, we stick by people even when, you know, they're perhaps not being the best that they can be and, and disappointing us. We, we tend to um, stay in for the long haul with our friendships and things like that. So I think there's a very practical um, aspect to that quite apart from the... the 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 evangelical mission of helping people to come to know and love Jesus more deeply, which is obviously 
you know, very much a factor for us, but it's often not the thing we want to lead with when you're um, talking to somebody who perhaps doesn't have a deep faith and his marriage is in pain. They want relief for the pain that they're experiencing. They don't want a, a you know, a, a message about, you know, well, you just need to love Jesus. Mm. <laughs> um, they do need to love Jesus, but it's not the first message perhaps we want to start with. We want to kind of bring that to them when they're more receptive to receiving it. Well, I want to open our talkback lines and listeners might like to contribute to our conversation today. We are going to get into uh, some of these myths. Uh, we'll talk about some of those uh, some more in just a few moments. But the talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight. You might have a question. Uh, you might have your own hint uh, for keeping your marriage uh, spark alive and uh, in a lifelong sense. Uh, you can be a part of our conversation one 1-800-316-316 you can also leave a question or a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio before we get into these myths Francine uh, there has been a myth around uh, that divorce rates in churches are just as high as anywhere else so uh, why would you want to go to a church now that is very much a myth and uh, oftentimes you'll hear it being disseminated even by uh, Christian leaders who are saying that they've picked this up from somewhere or other whether it was a magazine article or just in the conversation but that truly is a myth because marriages of people who are a part of churches uh, are proven statistically to be much stronger uh, than those who are outside of a church context what have you got to say about that sort of myth yeah, absolutely. Neil, look, that, that confusion came from um, a mis- I guess a misrepresentation, probably, you know, perhaps slightly deliberate on the part of the authors, where they just lumped, if people identified as Christian or Catholic or whatever, but didn't look at their practice of their faith. So if they practice their faith, if they went to church and was involved in it, were involved in a community, the divorce rate was much lower. If they were just nominally Christian, like it was just the thing they ticked on their form, and, and you know, like in the Catholic Church, I think it's only about 10 to 12% of baptised Catholics regularly practice their faith. So the vast majority of Catholics um, would, not be, would not be getting the benefits of the preventative, sort of the divorce prevention benefits of being a regularly practising churchgoer because they simply don't go to church. So if you look at churchgoers, there is a strong marriage protective factor in it. Um, but just sort of ticking the sense to say that you're Christian isn't going to give you that protective factor. Okay, well, let's get into some of these myths. And uh, for wherever you might be as a listener uh, on a spectrum of whether you've got a really great a strong marriage or if things are looking a little shaky or you might even be at the other end of the spectrum where things are falling apart right now and I'm glad I'm listening to Francine because I'm just looking for that key that's going to give me a breakthrough. Uh, Some myths here Francine, Uh, one of those that uh, we wanted to talk about today, if my spouse isn't cooperative there's nothing I can do to fix the marriage. Uh, That is a myth isn't it? Yeah, look, and I think one of the best ways to sort of point out, because people often use that as the excuse for giving up, you know, look, well, my spouse won't go to counselling or it's hopeless, I've tried and tried and tried and nothing gets better, any better, that kind of thing. One of the ways to kind of challenge that is to ask them, is there something you could do that could make your marriage worse? And they can always think of something. Oh, I could have an affair or I could, you know, refuse to, you know, I could move out of the bedroom or I could whatever. There's always something you can do to make it worse. Well, it stands to reason if there's something about your choices and your behaviour that can make it worse, there's something about your choices and behaviour that can also make it better. And so this idea 
that everything has to be done in a coordinated two-step to improve the marriage is really one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people just getting getting on with it. And so we we kind of really we call you know it doesn't take two to tango. It only takes one to tango. You can you can start. And if you change the way you interact within the relationship, that changes the nature of the relationship. It changes the dance. And by necessity, it forces out your spouse to respond in some way. It might not be in the initial stages the ideal response, but you can almost always do something to improve your situation, um, even if it's if it's sort of you know around self improvement and helping yourself to cope with the difficulties that you're facing. The fact that you're able to cope better helps change the dynamic of the relationship. Okay, let's go with another myth quickly, and we might come back and uh, talk some more about these. Another myth, good couples don't argue. Uh, why is that a myth? Right, well, that's, that's sort of, a, I guess, a, a, um, a really common one, this idea that sort of arguments are only really the, the domain of couples that are in difficulty. Um, the reality is we're different people. So firstly, we're going to have differences and disagreements are absolutely normal. So if we want to differentiate between arguments and, and disagreements, I suppose that's the first thing is that disagreements are, are, are to be expected. I mean, if, unless you're clones of each other, you're going to have some differences and there will be some disagreements as you sort of work out how to deal with those. But an argument, I guess, is, a, is a, an escalation of that. And the idea that if a good couple doesn't argue is, is simply nonsensical because what we typically think of an argument is the, the sorts of interactions that have got all the heat, light and sound. So it's the, the raised voices, it's the, it's the shouting, it's the you know, name calling. You know, that's what we tend to think of as an argument. But there's other types of arguments that are less fiery. The sort of the classic Cold War and the silent treatment. And the psychologists call couples that have these kind of arguments, they call them avoidant. They still have, dis- they still have arguments, they just don't verbalise them. Or they don't act them out, they kind of conduct them in, um, in a sort of a, an under-the-carpet under kind of way. But they're just as conflicted. And they're actually often in greater danger of not being able to resolve their differences because they're not uh, having open conversation about it. So I guess we're not advocating that arguments are, are um, you know, are, are good, but we're just challenging the idea that the absence of arguments means that everything's okay uh, because it doesn't necessarily... You could be both avoidant or you could have one that's just so dominant and the other so compliant. And I think yesterday there was something on, on a vision of a couple giving a testimony talking about how she was very compliant in the relationship and and was unable to sort of bring her needs and grievances into the open and it subsequently set her up to be attempted into an affair with somebody who did give her the attention and the um, and allowed her needs to be expressed and so this absence of arguments I guess I would say is is not necessarily an indicator of the health of the marriage that we have to be very careful that this, just avoiding arguments is not a goal in itself um, for marital health. This week is Marriage Week. Find out more at vision.org.au slash marriage. Neil, with you and our special guest this hour is Francine Parola, who leads the Marriage Resource Centre, she and her husband Byron. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Leave a comment or a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Francine, let's take some calls. Phil is on the line from Western Australia. Hello, Phil. Welcome along. Oh, hello. Um, yes. How are you going? Um, yes, I... I don't know really where to start. This is such a, a big, uh, big issue, I think, uh, in life. And uh, but um, 
I just want to say that uh, me, my wife and I have been going through a, a, a very, very um, a difficult time for, for a number of years. Um, we've actually just recently um, been seeing a, a counsellor. I don't know how many we've seen, but seeing a counsellor that is just um, is just really helping, and uh, I believe God's really using him, and, and uh, he really knows the situation about our lives and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we've I think we've probably brought up is stuff from the past and our own families um um one of our my family um my wife comes from a non-christian family but uh, I come from a Christian family but even so uh that doesn't make my situation any easier because it was actually quite hard at times and uh there's a lot of issues of uh not having a I guess a proper father figure and doing the right things in my life to be the the right sort of husband that I needed to be, and I just um, you know a, a lot of the things were just messed up so much. And um, one of the things we really needed to do was to um, uh, learn to trust each other and also mm-hmm. learn to talk. And that was very hard for my wife in a lot of ways, but but also I guess for me too because I would tend to have that um, way of um, uh, doing the silent stuff if things went wrong or whatever, or even though I was trying to you know, make things right, but it was always not the right way. But uh, Phil, thank you so much for calling in and just sharing those elements of your marriage. Uh, let's get some thoughts from Francine on, on the things that you're going through right now. Mm. Well, firstly, Phil, thanks thanks for your story and well done to you both for seeking the help that you need. And if you can get the right counselling, it can really be a, a very valuable support to you. I did want to pick up on just something you mentioned there about learning to talk. And I guess one of the things that I, I guess, it, it, and we all know that that's so important, and one of the things that I think it's important to keep in mind is that women tend to point the finger at men a bit and say they don't know how to communicate. We tend to be, as women, a little bit superior in a sense, and we think that women are, are the pros at verbal communication. And there's some merit to that thinking that we know from the sciences that women have a larger language centre and therefore the verbal language is perhaps comes a little bit more naturally to us but some of the mistakes that women make in their verbal communication is that we often don't um, I guess regulate our self-expression we, we, we talk about in some of our marriage um, education so that one of the challenge for women is unregulated self-expression so we kind of often can come into marriage with this expectation that I have a right to express myself and my husband is in, has vowed that he would always listen to me and be there and I can prattle on and on and on for hours and hours and he's supposed to sit there and take it and that's in some ways is, a, is an abuse and so we, we like to challenge women to say, yes, we understand that um, verbal communication is really important, but it's a kind of communication. And so we coach women on ways to communicate that is easier for men to hear, her, hear them and to be present to them. And that means, I guess, managing perhaps some of the anxiety that is associated. So, so many women, not all, but, but many women will, when they're anxious, will talk a lot. And they use that kind of talking as a way to discharge that tension and to process what they're thinking and so on. Well, that can be really, really hard for some husbands. My, my 
darling husband Byron is an is an introvert, and honest to goodness, I just look back on our life and I think the man is a saint. Um, some of the things he's sort of sat through and patiently sort of been listened to me as I've prattled on, uh, but I've learned over the years that if I can target the kind of communication that I make so that I'm just talking, doing some self-reflection before I open my mouth so that I'm speaking very personally and reflectively about what's truly happening inside. There's less of that superficial prattle. It's more real and it, it, it gets the cut through. He can hear it and he can receive the message and he can respond more genuinely to it as opposed to just feeling like he's, you know, on the receiving end of a fire, a fire hydrant of, you know, just words gushing at him all the time which which makes it hard for him to hear me well so, phil thank you i'll i'll cut in here that was a great response and phil from wa thank you so much for being part of 2020 today calling in uh, sharing your heart about your marriage we're just two and a half minutes out from news let's take another call monica is in wa too hello monica welcome along hi Monica, what are your thoughts? Yes, what are your thoughts? Or do you have a question for um, Francine? I, I, I have a, a concern, you know, I, I totally agree um, with most of the things that have been said. And it's just that um, because I myself um, is a strong believer of God's word and definitely advocate for marriage because God hates, you know, divorce. And I stayed in an abusive marriage for almost 20 years. Um, and therefore, the myth about. Um, um, which I don't quite, which I quite agree, you know, the, the myth about if it's only one party that's doing the part and the other uh, party is not doing, you know, there's still hope in it. In my case, it was not at all because it was a recalcitrant adulterer and abuser. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was told to leave the marriage earlier, which I did not. And I had much, um, you know, difficulty getting my children to forgive me after many years because they said that, why didn't I leave the marriage earlier? Then they wouldn't have suffered so much to all Monica, we're not too far from news, but I do want to get a response from Francine. When you're on that sort of relationship plane, Francine, what's your thoughts for Monica? Just a minute out from news. Yes. Well, firstly, the, the importance of a supportive community is absolutely crucial because you need to have people who can bring some objectivity and, and rationality into the situation because often you're so Im- overwhelmed by the, the situation that you can't think straight. There is merit, I think, sometimes in separating, but that's. I guess I would distinguish that from completely ending the marriage and forming a new relationship, that you can be faithful to your marriage even if you're not living together. And sometimes the separation is actually really important for the other person's recovery as well. Um, there's not sort of, I mean, it probably needs more explanation, so maybe we could come back to it um, sort of after the news. But, but the, you know, I think in some ways her, her advice might have been correct in advising her to leave perhaps a little bit earlier um, if the fact of her staying was not helping her husband to deal with the issues that he had to deal with. Okay, Monica from WA, thank you so much. And we'll probably talk some more on those issues beyond Vision National News and our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Francine, coming back to the lady that we had on the phone before the news, and we didn't have a lot of time to be able to enlarge uh, on the answer because the sorts of things that she was sharing were quite complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. The chances of rescuing your marriage when you have one partner and uh, in this case uh, the lady before the news uh, suggesting that her husband had been a serial adulterer and abuser. Uh, what are your thoughts if we enlarge on that? Not in a long way but if further thoughts on that for those who might be thinking well perhaps we didn't get enough time to talk about that before the news. 
Yes, yes. So uh, I think in, in situations like that, it's it's so important to have um, a faith-filled, um, grounded counsellor um, or support to help you think through the issues. And, and one of the things that we need to be careful about when we seek counselling is is that we find somebody who is practising from those Christian principles uh, because many of the secular counsellors, um, you know, they don't, I guess, appreciate the, the sort of the Christian values or they don't understand that as our belief as Christians that our destiny is for heaven and therefore perhaps, um, you know, some suffering in this life is part of preparing us for, you know, eternal happiness. Um, whereas, you know, a secular point of view sees it's this, this life is all there is. So your job is just to maximise your happiness in this life. So there, there's a different kind of value proposition there. So it's important to get good, good Christian counselling. And sometimes one of the strategies that has been proven to be effective is what we call a controlled separation. This needs to be distinguished from a trial divorce, which is basically saying, let's see how, let's, let's separate and see what it would be like if we divorce and if it's sort of, if we're happy, well, then we can proceed with it. Um, in a controlled separation, it's an agreement that needs to be kind of carefully facilitated where the husband and wife agree to separate for a fixed period of time, so say maybe three months or maybe a bit longer, um, in order to work on their, their personal issues so that they can come back to the relationship um, in a better state. Um, so there would be agreements around... Um, we won't be dating other people during this period. This time is set aside for us to work on ourselves, to do our internal work, to get the counselling and you know, the support that we individually need and so on. Um, there'd be agreement around how we're going to manage the children, if there's children involved, um, who's going to move out, you know, what's the arrangement's going to be with all the practical aspects of that. So it's a carefully facilitated arrangement with the goal of restoring the marriage. It's a different to a child divorce, which is let's see if it works, you know, let's see if we like it better. So the controlled separation is a really interesting strategy for situations where, like Monica, where you've got a husband who is quite clearly um, gets out of control in terms of being able to fulfil his marital, um, you know, obligations. You know, the very basics of, of um, you know, fidelity and, and kindness and respect for her and so on. He was obviously, you know, really struggling on those dimensions. Um, so a controlled separation might have been a, a, um, a possible strategy for her to try, which is, I think in some ways, that that's a, um, you know, something that all Christian couples should try before they actually divorce. Um, because sometimes the relationship, the dynamic between the couple can be so toxic and they can be so easily triggered by the other person, they actually need space from away from living with them in order to process those triggers. Um, which I guess just brings me back to a, a, a point that I think is really worth noting is that the power of forgiveness um, we know in our Christian um, uh, biblical studies and so on that Christ commands us to forgive that the, this, this is a deep Christian value to forgive and not to hold grudges against other people well that's really important in a marriage obviously but it's kind of one of those things we can intellectually agree yes we should forgive but how do you actually do it in a way that it's um, removes all sense of of, uh, of angst internally you know, as I say you know, it's easy to convince the head but how do I convince my heart because one of the things and I've done a lot of personal work on this because I tend to be a person who holds on to grudges way too long is that um, I've, I've found that when I'm wounded there's almost like the wound itself gets like this 
immunological barrier around it that is resistant to forgiveness. And until that wound, that sort of emotional injury, is kind of acknowledged and validated, it kind of doesn't let its defences, it won't let its defences down. And it makes forgiveness really, really hard work. Whereas if um, I can attend to the wound, if I can give that wound a voice, if you like, and allow it to be um, expressed in a healthy way, in, a, in an appropriate way, well, then it kind of, like, it loses its defensiveness. And then it's easy to sort of forgive and to move into, a, I guess, a space where I can then make decisions where I can be um, more loving and more generous without kind of being constantly defended and triggered and, and, and reactive. So forgiveness is such a powerful resource. It doesn't necessarily mean that in a situation like Monica's that she would go back into a relationship with him if he if there's clear indications that he hasn't reformed or is incapable of, of being a mature adult in a, in a married relationship. Um, but it can help her, um, I guess, strengthen her interior values so that she can make decisions about the relationship from a position of strength and love rather than just sort of a reactive defensiveness or a submissive whatever, you know, whatever he does is okay. Is that kind of... That is fabulous. Uh, and uh, what a great bit of practical advice too. Uh, attend mm-hmm. to the wound to find a safe yes. and healthy way in which you can air your... Uh, wounded concern and then that will make it easier to forgive Uh, we're taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's take a call from Queensland an anonymous caller hello thank you so much for waiting patiently for us Uh, what are your thoughts Um, good morning Neil good morning Francine Um, I just wanted to call in just because uh, I've been separated from my husband for going on four years now and there was um, domestic and family violence as part of that relationship and as a Christian I really struggle with um, a lot of the teaching and a lot of um, trying to bring my faith into decisions and where to take my family um, at this point because there are a lot of um, schools of thought you know that I, and I know you know God and Jesus called us to forgive and everything but there seems to be a lot of misconceptions and misinformations, especially in the Christian community, with regards to how to actually guide um, women, especially in these positions. Obviously, men um, are at the receiving end of abuse in certain circumstances as well, as to uh, a a way to go through it without um, enabling the abuser to continue, whether they're in the same household or not but just in terms of protecting our children and also doing that in a God-honouring way. I know Francine mentioned um, Christian counsellors and versus secular counsellors, and I've, I've tried to go down that road, but I think a lot of the, the um, tactics are also to do with um, the assumption that the other person is being reasonable, and in my circumstance, that isn't the case. So what yep. would logically be wor- um, be advisable and from a Christian perspective, be advisable, um, doesn't actually work. Okay, let's get so. some thoughts from Francine on those concerns that you're raising. Mm. Yeah, look, domestic violence is obviously absolutely not acceptable. And when you've got children, you basically need to pick up and get out of there. And because you can't fix it from within the marriage, usually in those situations that there needs to be... Um, clear separation and the individual has to take on 
the challenge of processing their stuff because it's not acceptable behaviour in anywhere in society and especially not in our families and, and to vulnerable, the people that we pledge to love and are responsible for, you know, caring for our, you know, our spouse and our children. So um, absolutely, um, you know, you, you did, I want to affirm you absolutely did the right thing. Um, when there's domestic violence involved, you need to get out. Um, I guess the thing that where the Christian value, and I, and I, I agree that there can sometimes be this confusion between, um, you know, trying to restore the marriage, the relationship, or the veneer of the relationship, so that externally it looks like it's they're back together again, they're living in the same household, even if it's you know completely rotten on the inside and there's dysfunction, dreadful dysfunction inside, um, and and Christians can sometimes assume that that's better than owning that there is an issue here and that we need to do our work. And you can sometimes be misguided and, I guess, encouraged to go back into an abusive situation is, is what um, the caller was alluding to, that some of the Christian counselling that you might have heard, she interpreted as encouraging to go back into an abusive relationship because that was preferable to um, being separated or divorced. Um, I think we have to, um, I guess, acknowledge that these situations... Um, are very complicated and there's not a one-size-fits-all, that we, we need to hold on to our basic principles and, and, and then modify those for the circumstances. Um, so in, uh, you know, without knowing all the details of this particular case, um, I think you know, the, the, the safety of the children and, and of a, her, own, her own life is, is paramount, that that has to be protected, and that once that is protected, well, then we can look at are there, if there's possibilities for recovery later on. But you would need to see some very strong evidence from her husband that he has actually done the work and he is genuinely reformed. And I think you know, the onus is on the abuser to demonstrate the trustworthiness um, before we you know, encourage somebody like this caller to be sort of putting herself back in a situation. Well, thank you so much to that anonymous caller from Queensland for calling in and uh, and from expressing those issues of your own heart. Really, certainly appreciate that. And our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316, or you can leave a comment or a question on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's move on here, Francine, because uh, when we talk about all of these challenges, all of these struggles that we might have, the rocky patches in our marriages, uh, there is this, this other myth that we wanted to uncover today, this idea that marriage is meant to make us happy. Of course, we want to be happy, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, what is this myth about marriage being meant to make us happy? Yeah. Look, uh, look. we've found in our work that this is such a stumbling block for a lot of people. And it, it comes from, I guess, those first experiences when we fall in love and the brain chemistry gets switched on. The scientists call it limerence. It's a, a sort of a state of being where there's you know, neurochemicals flying around in our brains that's giving us a sense of euphoria, dropping our natural inhibitions so that we sort of feel more trusting towards this person. Um, you know, the, the brain studies are fascinating when you look at somebody who's in love. Um, and I guess we take that experience, it's such a powerful experience, and we, we feel so, uh, our well-being, our sense of joy in the presence of this person we fall in love with is so powerful that we kind of, I guess, make the assumption that being with this person for the rest of our life is going to sustain this sense of euphoria and this sense of happiness and so that gets, then gets translated that that's what we expect that marriage will deliver for us is this lifetime of, of delight and happiness 
Um, but of course, the brain chemistry doesn't get sustained. Um, you know, the, the body does start to return to equilibrium, and so that sort of euphoria fades a little bit. And um, and I guess at that point, there's often a lot of disillusionment. And the danger is, is that when we hit those kind of really normal pattern of coming down off that high into okay, now the now the sort of the work of loving comes into play, is that a lot of people then go, oh, I made the wrong choice because marriage is supposed to make me happy. I must have chosen the wrong person. And therefore, the marriage is fundamentally flawed, and there's nothing I, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, it's never going to be, if I've chosen the wrong person, it's never going to work. And that's absolutely wrong. That is so destructive, and people, it's so disempowering for people because if you believe that you've chosen the wrong person, um, you feel that no effort you make is ever going to be enough. And I don't think that's the way that it works at all. I think that what we need to understand is that marriage is really a gross institution. Um, in our Catholic tradition, um, I think it was um, Pope John Paul II talked about marriage was the f- and the family was the first school of love. It's where we learned how to love. And we kind of think of love often as sort of the, the warm, fuzzy feelings that we get. But actually, he was talking about love as learning how to sacrifice for others, how to um, will the good of the other and, and not just to put ourselves first, but to put others first. It was that kind of very sacrificial understanding of love rather than the sort of the warm sort of fuzzy feelings we get from it. Mm-hmm. And and I think when you're under, you kind of take that approach, you kind of go, okay, look, this is how God is calling me to become more holy, how to be, develop the virtues, how to grow in dependency and love for, for Jesus so that our ultimate goal to be in heaven is kind of part of this journey on earth. So if you think about marriage as, hey, this is helping me to become a more holy person, it reframes any challenges and difficulties. You know, so when you know, Byron does something that upsets me or irritates me, I try to reframe it to say, okay, he's really annoying me now, but can I grow into being a better person and love him despite this, this flaw or this irritation? That's how we become holier as people. And, of course, uh, this idea that the grass often looks greener on the other side, uh, that would be an endless journey if you don't come to grips with the idea that uh, when you have begun the marriage and even though you face these feelings that things are not quite as happy as they were at the beginning, uh, if you don't embrace this idea of making me stronger, whole, uh, fuller person, uh, then uh, yeah. then somehow or other you'll just be on an endless yeah. uh, quest yeah. for trying to be happy in a relationship. Yeah. Look, let's take another call. Robbie yeah. is waiting on the line from Western Australia. Hello, Robbie. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day. Um, yeah, comment I want to make, and it could be beneficial to people listening, about 10 years ago, I wasn't a Christian. I was absolutely caught up in hatred. I couldn't get this person out of my mind. I was just used and abused, you know. Anyway, um, I went in my room and I wrote that word. I asked God to help me forgive. I was sort of coming back to God at the time. And I wrote that word forgive hundreds of times. And, um, you know, after that, I could forgive this person. And I could, you know, I, I walked out of my room and I knew I'd forgiven him. And uh, I don't know if many people have that experience or not, but it's very... Um, yeah. Okay, well, there's an effort that needs to be made for forgiveness. Your thoughts, Francine? Yeah, look, I'm so glad, uh, Robbie. Thank you. That That's brilliant. Look, one of the processes that we teach in our Breakthrough course for helping people to forgive 
is very similar to that. What we get them to do is identify the specific incident or the, the situation that's causing them pain, and then they have a list. And on one, on two, with two columns, on the left column, they write, I forgive you in the name of the person. So I might write, I forgive you, Byron. And then on the other side, in kind of like a stream of consciousness, you write whatever comes back, any kind of spontaneous thought. So I might write, I forgive you, Byron but you don't deserve it. I forgive you, Byron, but I'm never forgetting. I forgive you, Byron, but you were a jerk. I forgive you, Byron, but it's just not accepted. Whatever, whatever the stream of consciousness, whatever comes back, right? And that's what we were talking about earlier, um, Neil, about giving the wound a voice. That's the wound speaking back that says, I don't want to forgive, and this is the reason why. And if you keep going with that list, eventually you can write, I forgive you, and there's no pushback. The wound has basically been exhausted, right? It's had every, said everything it needs to say, and you can say, "I forgive you," and you can say it, and it has actually happened. It's not—it's not even a decision to forgive. It's actually occurred almost spontaneously once you remove the resistance um, of the wound from it. We teach this to—we uh, do training with priests and, and ministers and couples, and and they love this. We get amazing stories back from them where they've taken this into their their ministry and helped lots of people not just married couples but you know people in different situations siblings that have been fighting or co-workers and they just say it is amazing it just clears the air and helps them sort of move into such um, a much better richer spaces where they can um, be more less reactive and more kind of mature and loving in the situation Thank you so much, Robbie. Appreciate your call. And uh, we won't be able to take any more calls, but thanks to those who have called in through the hour. If we were drawing some loose ends together here, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we talked about a number of myths this hour, Francine, Mm -hmm. uh, but when we talk about just some practical things that we might take away from a conversation today, I know that we we haven't talked about this issue of prayer, but uh, we have covered things like stopping the blaming, uh, yeah. or getting some education or personal counselling. And uh, we yeah. did talk about issues of forgiveness, but out of those sort of four ideas, which one would you say is the best place to start uh, if you're wanting to rescue your marriage or uh, strengthen and enrich your marriage uh, from this day forward? Where would you start? I would always start with prayer. I mean, that's, I guess, my, my bet. I know that I am totally dependent on God, that anything good in me comes from Him, and that as soon as I start getting... Um, arrogant about thinking that the goodness is my own of my own doing and that's when it all starts to unravel so I always start with prayer and in fact it has been scientifically established um, with a really interesting even just with a short one minute daily prayer with couples that they reported a greater willingness to forgive higher marital satisfaction increased gratitude less violence and infidelity and another study that was less alcohol consumption less violence um, because those two often go together Um, so there's actual scientific practical evidence that prayer does change us that that it strengthens us and enables us to come into our relationships as better people Um, so i would always start with prayer Um, and then i think you know you can then start looking around for the most uh, you know things like trying to get the sort of the blame mentality out of our lives that's kind of a very disempowering mentality if we're always pointing the finger at the other person there can't be any self-growth in that Um, right well uh, francine um, that one minute prayer as you say can make all the difference and some will say oh one minute that's not much well one minute is an awful lot more than no prayer at all and so that prayer together actually puts you on the same page 
uh, it humbles you and puts you in a context under God too. And uh, those things are obviously clearly important. Look, we have run out of time. I do want to point people to the smartloving.org website. And Smart Loving is uh, the the website where people can access those breakthrough courses. And no doubt there's retreats and things that are coming up that people might be able to be a part of if they're in your neck of the woods. Uh, But it's also Marriage Week, marriageweek.org.au. Uh, is the website for Marriage Week and there's some great suggestions and great resources on the Marriage Week website as well I did mention too that there's a Marriage Week page on the Vision website vision.org.au Francine and her husband Byron they lead the Marriage Resource Centre marriageresourcecentre.org and uh, Francine just uh, invaluable the wonderful wisdom that you've overflowed uh, in this past hour and I really appreciate you taking some time and let's not leave it as long as we have between conversations to have you back again. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020. Absolute pleasure, Neil, and I look forward to joining you again very soon. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.